As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. ChatGPT just was released without really any thought about the ethics of making that available to anybody who has an internet connection. We are allowing large companies and governments to learn so much about us. Recent work on humanoid robots is incredibly realistic. And when you can predict what somebody does, you can control them. They're on our phones, they're in our schools, they're in our hospitals. When I asked GPT, to do the same again, but with fewer errors in dates and places. What it did was really revealing. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that gets Christians and non-Christians talking. I'm Peter Byram and today we bring you the latest instalment of The Big Conversation, Season 5. This time we're doing a special two-parter called The Robot Race, where we take a deep dive into the world of artificial intelligence. Today, we're bringing you the robot race part one, Could AI Ever Replace Humanity? The second part will be released in a couple of weeks' time. As ever, however, if you want to watch part two even sooner, then sign up at thebigconversation.show and you will be granted special access to the episode a whole week ahead of its scheduled release date, as well as getting hours of exclusive video and ebook content too. So if you haven't already, why not sign up right now at thebigconversation.show. And now, here's our host, Andy Kind, to introduce the first of these big conversations about AI. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another captivating episode of The Big Conversation from Premier Unbelievable, proudly presented in partnership with the John Templeton Foundation. I am your host, Andy Kind. My guests are Nigel Crook and Anil Seth. Today, we embark on a thrilling journey into the realm of artificial intelligence with the topic of our discussion, The Robot Race Part 1, Could AI Ever Replace Humanity? Join us as we explore the frontiers of AI and its potential impact on our very existence. Our distinguished guests for this thought-provoking dialogue are two eminent minds in their fields. You agree with that so far? First, we have Nigel Crook, a trailblazing figure renowned for his pioneering work in the field of AI and robotics. Nigel has graced the big conversation before alongside his remarkable robot friend now. To watch their captivating full interview, simply register at thebigconversation.show. Nigel is not only an esteemed professor of AI, but he is also the author of the groundbreaking book, Rise of the Moral Machine. Within its pages, Nigel explores the profound ethical implications of AI and its capacity to revolutionize the way we perceive and interact with machines. 
Rise of the Moral Machine delves into the crucial question of how we can ensure AI aligns with our values and not just our algorithms. Joining Nigel in this intellectual odyssey is the brilliant Anil Seth, an internationally acclaimed neuroscientist known for his groundbreaking research on consciousness. Anil's latest magnum opus, Being You, A New Science of Consciousness, takes readers on an enlightening exploration of the self and the mysterious nature of consciousness. In Being You, Anil delves into the depths of neuroscience, philosophy and psychology to unravel the enigma of consciousness, shedding light on what makes us uniquely human. Together, Nigel Crook and Anil Seth will shed light today on the profound questions surrounding AI and its potential to replace humanity. With Nigel's expertise in AI ethics and Anil's profound understanding of consciousness, this episode promises to be an enthralling inquiry into the future of human-machine interactions. And here's a fascinating tidbit for our astute audience. The whole introduction you just heard, including these very lines, have been written by ChatGPT, an incredible AI language model. Isn't it remarkable how technology continues to shape and influence our world? So, dear listeners, fasten your intellectual seatbelts as we venture into the robot race part one. Could AI ever replace humanity with our exceptional guests, Nigel Crook and Anil Seth? Let the conversation begin. I think that's enough of that. So, what do you think? First of all, how accurate was that, Anil? Well, there was Are you an expert in consciousness? I think there was a lot of groundbreaking, wasn't there? Everything, everything was groundbreaking, which, which is interesting. I think with these, and it also, did it really, did it call itself incredible? It yeah, it itself was an incredible yeah. uh, language model. It that's, did not display modesty or humility. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's. I, I do find so. It's broadly. I mean, broadly accurate in yeah. terms of like what I do, without all the the value judgments laden on top of it but i mean that's what these things are good at i mean Mm. they're good at generating roughly plausible things yeah they're great at nouns and facts aren't they not so much with the adverbs and and the adjectives well i'm not sure they're great at facts either okay no i think they're pretty terrible at facts They're, they're great at generating stuff that has the the kind of sheen of of plausibility Mm. i mean people often say they hallucinate i i prefer actually to say they confabulate you know they they That's make so stuff up to fill in gaps that they yeah. don't even know are gaps. Yeah. Wow. So they, you know, we have to, I, to understand really what they're doing. You've got to dig a little bit into how, how they work, which I'm sure we'll, we'll do mm-hmm. later. Yeah. But I think that's just enough to show you that they can quite easily sucker us in to believing that there's a mind behind what yeah. they say. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Nigel, how about you? How, how I was amazed at how much factual information was in it, actually. Okay. I agree with Anil that the it, it's uh, there's a lot of hype and and sort of overtones uh, in it. Um, the the thing that impresses me always with these things is the fluency of the of the text, mm. which is what it's designed to do. And uh, we'll get into it later to understand how it's generating what it's generating. But yeah. but that to me is the impressive stuff. Not actually what it says, but the fluency and the fact that we understand it. Yeah. And it's saying something that is understandable. Absolutely. It's, it strikes me. It's a bit like when you speak to... I remember when I, my degree is in French. I remember when I was in, in France for a year. By the end of the year, I was fluent in French. But it was obvious to anyone who was French that mm. I wasn't French. 
I had the idioms, I had the language, I even had a bit of the, the local dialect. But it was mm. obvious to a real native French speaker, maybe not someone from another country, that I wasn't French. Is it mm. similar to that? I think it's almost totally the opposite. Oh. I think, you know, <laughs> when you, when you learned the amount of French that you did, I'm sure you understood something about what you were saying. Yeah. Mm. And yes, you were easily distinguishable from a native French speaker because you only learned a small, a relatively small amount. Yeah. You know, I think with things like ChatGPT and, and language models that are just around the corner, if not here already, will be almost indistinguishable from native speakers. I think that's actually one of the main worries about them. They will mm -hmm. get so good that they will be very difficult, if not impossible, mm. to trip up. Yet, unlike you, they will understand nothing yeah. about what they're saying. And that's one of the main risks and dangers that these systems pose. Fantastic. Well, we've got so much to talk about. And it's really fascinating. And I can't be the only person who's slightly disconcerted mm. uh, about this. On Premier Unbelievable, there's a lot of conversations and debates around origins, origins of the universe, origins of morality, and a lot of stuff about the present tense. But this is different, isn't it? This is tomorrow's world stuff. It, it's future casting. So I, I am slightly disconcerted. I'm hoping that you guys are going to be able to reassure us about the future. I think, Nigel, you'll try to. Anil, I'm not convinced that you're going to try and reassure me about what, what's to come, but we'll, we'll see. I'm not generally reassuring. <laughs> we'll see how we get on. So the topic if, of this uh, conversation is, could AI ever replace humanity? F first of all, I want to get a, a, a your origin story, really, about how you came to this place. But, Nigel, is this a debate that wouldn't have been feasible 20 years ago? 20 years ago, if, if you'd been invited to come on something like this, would, it, would you have thrown it out as lunacy or as ludicrous? No, I think, uh, I think I would have taken it seriously. I think even then we could see the direction of travel hmm. I think the issue for many of us, even within in the field, working in the field, is that this last uh, development, the generative AI that we're seeing coming out now, has just accelerated and been adopted mm. at such a rapid rate that it's thrown up lots of ethical issues that we have not really got to grips with. Mm. You know, we could have done with preparing for this 20 years ago. It would have been good if we'd sat down mm. 20 years ago to do exactly that. Anil, what do you think about that? Yes, yeah, so I, I did my, my PhD was in AI and it was about 20 years ago, like 2001, I think I finished. And at that point, it was a kind of, almost a low point in AI, mm. which is why I didn't become a billionaire, <laughs> one of the reasons. Um, you know, we were working on, on different aspects of AI and yes, not, not, I agree with you. There, there's always been this idea, mainly fueled by science fiction films, that there is a threat here, there's a, there's a danger. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, the practical capabilities of these systems were so impoverished that it didn't seem to be a realistic threat that anyone had to pay attention to. Um, and it has been astonishing what's happened over the last even 12 months, yeah. I think. There has been progress, progress that's taken people within the field by surprise, mm. and certainly progress that has exploded into the public awareness. So, yeah, I think we could have had a mm. discussion 20 years ago, but I doubt many people would have listened to it. Yeah, mm. whereas now it is very much the topic on the table. Sure. Um, and so one of the things I want to do over the course of this conversation is to, is to work out, you know, who we listen to as well. Who are the fear mongers and who are the, the genuine 
profits. Just a couple of quotes. So Elon Musk, I don't know if you've heard of him, either of you, <laughs> Elon Muskie, um, he said that the, the chances of something incredibly dangerous happening uh, is in the five-year time frame, maximum 10-year time frame. And then Stephen Hawking said to the BBC, the development of full AI could spell the end of the human race as AI redesigns itself at an ever-increasing and exponential rate. Humans who, by comparison, are slow to evolve couldn't compete and would be superseded. Now, where's the prophetic voice in that, Nigel? And where's the fear-mongering? There's a solid mix of both, okay. I would say, in that. Um, there are risks. In fact, AI is already causing harm. We know that. And we can see see how it's uh, exhibiting bias, unwanted bias, mm -hmm. um, that it's not transparent. It uh, appears to be making decisions on behalf of people uh, without the ability to question those decisions or understand how those decisions were formed. Uh, so that's already happening. Um, but I think uh, in terms of the destruction of humanity in, what was it, five years, did you say? Yeah. I think we would have to be monumentally stupid to put ourselves into a position where AI mm. had that much power over us mm. uh, and over society. And, and uh, you know, uh, we, and it could happen. We could do it. Um, but I think that, to me, that's not the big worry. Okay. The big worry is that the technology is being rolled out at such a fast rate uh, because of the commercial drivers behind it. Uh, and that is meaning that, that it's being adopted um, by people who don't understand what the technology does and how it, how it functions and how it, uh, how it does what it does when they interact with it. And therefore, um, they come to it with the wrong understanding of what it's doing. So ChatGPT is a perfect example mm. of that. People think that it's trying to communicate with them, uh, that it's being empathetic, mm. um, uh, and that it's engaging in, in an intentional conversation but it's doing no such thing. Yeah. It's not doing any of those things. And, yeah. you know, so I think that to me is the biggest danger, is a lack of understanding and a lack of education uh, for people that use it. And, and ChatGPT just was released without really any thought about that, yeah. about the ethics of, of making that available to anybody who has an internet connection and a device yeah. that could enable them to use it. So um, you're a Christian, Nigel. Yes. Is it fear-mongering? Is it too much to say that ChatGPT and AI is, a, is Satan masquerading as an angel of light <laughs> with <No>. the empathy? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think that at all. Okay. I, I don't think that at all. I think that it does, it does, it does lead us to ask, ask questions of ourselves yeah. as humans. Yeah. What does it mean to be human? And I think it does so in a way that we've never um, had to think about before. I think before... You know, the, the, it's been the domain of philosophers and theologians mainly to think about that um, and psychologists and, and, and the like. But, but now everybody is interested in this, in this mm. concept because they can, they can just use this technology and it mm. appears to be human. It is behaving like a human being in mm. a very convincing way. Yeah. So then you start to think, well, is that me? Is, yeah. is that what I'm made of? Is it that kind of thing? That uh, you know that I, you know, I'm generating these words. Is it? Am I generating yeah. them like ChatGPT? Yeah. So yeah, I think that it does debate raise some around identity exactly. and consciousness, of which, of course, you're an expert according to ChatGPT. <laughs> and but going back to the two quotes mm. from uh, Elon Musk and uh, Stephen Hawking, 
because it does seem to me that it's it's the rate at which things are accelerating which is causing people to worry that Skynet's about to go online and that we're in a Terminator 2 situation. So things have changed quickly. Things are changing quite quickly. And there's often this idea of exponential growth. I mean, mm. we, we learned about exponential curves during the recent pandemic. And very hard to get a grip on psychologically because mm. when things are changing with that kind of dynamic, then wherever you are on the curve, it looks impossibly steep in front of you mm. and basically flat behind and that's true wherever you are yeah. so it's very it's very hard to locate orient ourselves um in terms of the risks the quotes are interesting because partly from from where they come from you know mm. they, they come from the sort of especially with elon musk they come from the heart of silicon valley people developing yeah. these mm. kinds of things and i think it's it's really important to emphasize something in in uh, what nigel was saying which is there are many types of risk here. There are the very dramatic science fiction driven existential threats to humanity. Will will they take over? Will they bootstrap themselves mm. beyond our understanding and yeah. control and turn mm. the whole world into a vast mound of paper clips or or um, something something <laughs> yeah. like that. Something yeah. that will be will really mark the yeah. end of humanity as yeah. we know it. Now I think we shouldn't discount these big existential worries entirely. Because it's a powerful technology. If mm. we put AI-driven, if we put ChatGPT, let's say, in control of, um, I don't know, uh, nuclear weapons, why would you do that? Don't mm. do that. Yeah. Um, that could go very badly wrong, yeah, right? Yeah. But we, we, we can not do that reasonably easily. But there, you know, there are existential concerns yeah. out there. We should pay a little bit of attention to yeah. those. But mm. there are clear and present dangers. And I think one of the risks we face as societies is being distracted to some extent by these very um, narrative heavy science fictiony yeah massive threats and we don't pay sufficient attention to what ai is doing to society mm. in the here and now which is both good and bad you know mm. there are extraordinary opportunities yeah. for increasing the you know, overall mm. global well-being of mm. people and the planet but there are also problems too. Mm. I think it probably pays to just rewind a little bit and, and you know, clarify what we're talking about when we talk about AI, because mm. you, you mentioned already that there's a particular kind of public perception, mm. which is probably not doing us any favors when we try to get clarity about what the threats and, and opportunities are. Yeah. You know, there's this sort of um, public idea of AI, again, that comes largely from the movies, mm -hmm either the Terminator or maybe HAL 9000 in, yeah. in 2001, something that is extremely intelligent, extremely able. Mm. Um, Wally would be another one. Wally? Wally, yeah, the Wally. Wally, I would yeah. say. Wally. The animation Oh, Wally. Yeah. Right. Wall I, I, I thought that was another adjective, like Sorry. something Wally. I got ChatGPT to pronounce <laughs> it for me. Yeah, Wally. Yeah, no, that's, that's an, there are lots. And there, yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the, 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 um, the most appealing the mm. tropes right uh but it does suggest a kind of ai that is not really the ai mm. we're dealing with in, in the here mm. and now you know the ai that's called ai it's it's given this term ai that's kind of part of the problem because yeah. is it really no i mean it's really just applied statistics and if you call it that then no one pays any attention <laughs> at all because it sounds very boring but what these systems are very good at are things like recognizing patterns mm. and increasingly generating mm. patterns yep. Um, this can be in language, it can be in, in images. Mm. Um, that's really the core business of AI as it is at the moment. 
but you can couple these things to now systems that make decisions. Yeah. You know, mm. may, maybe make decisions about, is this person a risk? Does this person get mm. an insurance policy they've applied for? Mm. Um, how can we optimize certain things? Mm. Um, but this is quite far from mm. the science fiction idea of, of what AI mm. is. And then there's the whole robotic side, which, which yep. you work on, yep. which um, I hope you don't mind me saying, because I, I started in robotics as well. It hasn't really kept up with yep. the rapid acceleration in these kind of disembodied AIs like language models mm. and so on. That's true. Although um, I think that some of the uh, recent work on humanoid robots has accelerated to my surprise. Uh, we have a robot back in my lab called Artie. He's a six foot humanoid robot um, with uh, screens for eyes and a, and a mechanical mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very obviously uh, not a human, but the, 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 the company that developed that, Engineered Arts, is a UK company. Um, the next version on from that, uh, Amica robot, is incredibly realistic mm. in human facial expression uh, and bodily gestures. Very, very sophisticated robotics control systems to enable that to happen at all. And that really has taken me by surprise. In, in, in the seven years since we bought that mm. robot from them, they have come on quite a way. So it's not the same, mm -hmm. I don't think, as AI, but I do see an acceleration towards more human-like robots um, that at some point you could say, well, for a period of time, I might actually be fooled to thinking that is a person mm -hmm. and not a robot. So at the moment, the phrase artificial intelligence is a bit of a misnomer because we're talking about predictions and statistics, uh, a bit like a computer game in, in a sense. But are you suggesting, Nigel, that we the reality is catching up with the with the name artificial intelligence. Um, I still think it's not a great name, but it's too late to change it now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Anil is absolutely right. This is mainly statistics with some sort of biological inspiration mm -hmm. behind it, um, but very very simplified biology. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that uh, uh, they, we've got a long way on that, um, but but it's enabled us to develop hugely complex models um, and train them. So GPT, for example, is a, a massive model trained on the whole of the text of the internet uh, plus more, um, but trained using huge compute farms, mm. lots of energy uh, over several months costing millions of dollars wow. um, to produce. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it you know, the, we are, we're using models that are very simplistic mm. uh, copies of the brain. So neurons that we call them neurons in artificial intelligence that do this learning mm -hmm. over time that learn to, for example, produce sequences of meaningful words. Uh, but they're nothing like biological neurons, really. Um, you know, they're more like switches on, on lights on off. Um, uh, uh, or, or faders on lights, mm. uh, whereas biological neurons are capable of a much richer range of behaviours. And if we ta if we start to tap into that, I think to me that will be the the next sort of um, development in AI is to be able to uh, learn more of the richness of how the brain works mm -hmm. and how how it processes information and adapt those to algorithms that could be much more efficient mm. in, in producing this kind of 
uh, intelligent responses to situations. Right. So, Anil, is one of the benefits, you talked about benefits and mm-hmm. sort of downsides, one of the benefits, and I think I've heard you say this in one of your interviews, is of AI is to, is to use it as a sort of reflective lens on the wonder of being human. Yeah, I think so. And there's, there's many benefits. I mean, there's many sort of more immediate practical benefits mm. of AI methods. So you know, AI is being used to optimize new drug design in pharmaceuticals. I mean, that's, that's been a mm. huge uh, boon, probably a revolution in, in biology yeah. um, driven by AI um, there. Can optimize many things. For instance, there's, there's possibly new approaches to energy mm. efficiency that, that AI can help with. Um, but yeah, there's this very interesting academic perspective on it. And you mentioned this earlier. It's almost as if technologies like artificial intelligence and language models being the breaking wave of that right now, they mm. hold up a mirror to us as human beings. Um, we can use, and th- this can be a mirror in, in many different senses. So we can use AI models as ways of understanding how brains work. I mean, this has been done for a long time anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, this is part of our bread and butter is we will build models of the brain mm-hmm. to try and figure out how it works. And so AI methods can help us with that. But then when it comes to something like language models, there's a, there's a sort of deeper, more conceptual mm-hmm. challenge and opportunity here, which is, I think, as you said it, like, if ChatGPT can converse with fluency, even if it confabulates, makes stuff up all, all the time. What is it that we are doing? Mm. Are we doing the same thing? Are mm. we doing something different? And if we mm. think we're doing something different, what is the difference mm. that makes the difference? Mm. And I think this is really instructive because even um, with the you know, other successes in AI, so people have already maybe forgotten about it. it's already two or three years ago the the successes in playing games like mm. go which which were yeah. incredibly impressive at the yeah. time um it's the ability to converse that has made people see themselves mm. within these algorithms and that i think is something really quite new mm. it's also it's also probably the first step to what some people call a general AI. And I think this is a, a useful distinction actually to have on the table to orient us about where we are with AI now. So there's this um, distinction. On the one hand, you've got so-called narrow artificial intelligence. These are systems that are really good at a specific thing, mm-hmm. whether it's playing Go, designing um, new drugs, figuring out protein folding, whatever it might be. A characteristic of human intelligence is that we are generalists. Mm-hmm. You know, we are reasonably good at lots of things. Learning to play chess doesn't prevent us from learning to speak a language. We, no. can, we can do both. Yeah. The idea of AI reaching this kind of capability of general human intelligence, that's, that's one of the, the, the holy grails of AI. I mean, I'm not entirely sure it's a good idea to get there. In fact, I think it's probably not a good idea to, uh, to get there in a yeah, in a rush, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, let's we're not, not there let's yet. Not yeah, we're not at general AI yet, so fantastic. I think that's still mm-hmm. that's still quite far away. The language models do show some ability to at least talk nonsense. Language models can talk nonsense about yeah. lots of different things rather yeah. than just one thing. That's yeah. as close as we've got yet. 
or you guys are not talking nonsense. We're having a fantastic debate. We're going to have a short break, but uh, today's episode is the robot race. Could AI ever replace humanity? We're having a very substantive and uh, reassuring so far conversation between Nigel Crook and uh, Anil Seth. We'll be back after this short break. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask and Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Welcome back to the big conversation from Premier Unbelievable in association with the John Templeton Foundation. Uh, my guests today are Nigel Crook and Anil Seth, and I am your host, Andy Kind, a chat GPT version of Justin Briley. Today's episode is called The Robot Race Part 1, Could AI Ever Replace Humanity? And in the first section, we, we had a very interesting and illuminating conversation and you guys unpacked your views on what exactly AI is and what it isn't. In this section, we want to talk about how far it could go, the dangers and capabilities and the possibility of sentience. So, Nigel, we'll start with you as an expert in robotics. What are your thoughts on dangers of AI, the real threats further down the line? Well, um, yeah, so I think the 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 core issue for me is the more human-like they get, um, the more power they have in society, uh, the more we'll be tempted to give them agency, um, and, uh, and the more that we will effectively put ourselves potentially at risk in doing that. Mm. Um, so I think that, um, you know, I do think that there are risks down that route. I, th I still think we're quite a long way from it. Mm -hmm. Um, even despite the most recent accelerations. Uh, but I do think that there is a risk in losing that distinction between humans and AI and robotics, and and that, that does worry me. Yeah, and Sam Harris said that you can't put the genie back in the bottle, Anil. Would you, would you uh, share that view? Well, that's, that's evidently true. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you can never do that. The question is, does it matter? Yeah. Mm. And I think in this case... It, it likely does matter. It, there's, we've mentioned briefly before that, that in other great technological advances, other industries, we tend to engage in a certain amount of risk assessment before mm. unleashing a new technology mm. on the wider society. We wouldn't just um, design a new 
pharmaceutical drug mm. and put it out there, you know, unless there's extremely good reason. Mm. You know, we could argue this happened recently, but in general, we do a lot of testing in a constrained mm. environment before we release anything, whether it's a new drug or a new mm. type of airplane or anything. This is patently not happening in yep. wow. machine learning and, and AI. Yep. Um, new systems are being just thrown out there and the problems that they might cause are, you know, I think people do worry about them, but there's not the systems in place. And I think it's unwise, it's really unfair to, to pillory the tech companies mm. themselves, many of whom want increased regulation because mm. without it, Play f the playing field gets incredibly mm. uneven. Mm. Um, and so, but there is a need, I think, for regulation. And this speaks to two kinds of dangers. I think that there's, there's the danger, as you mentioned, of AI that becomes increasingly human-like. Mm. I think this, is a, this carries its threats in a very specific way because we humans, we tend to anthropomorphize, right? We tend to project human-like qualities into yeah. things yeah. when they're not there. There mm. was a... a a reported case in April this year, I think, of a, a Belgian man mm. who'd been interacting with a chatbot um, who was a sort of artificial girlfriend and ended up committing suicide. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a very, very tragic occurrence, mm. um, which just speaks to what happens when people psychologically invest in mm. things, attribute beliefs to systems that don't actually have them. Mm. So there are lots of dangers in things seeming intentionally human-like. Mm. There's also, I think, a whole other suite of dangers, which are the hidden dangers, the invisible dangers that come from the fact that most AI isn't human-like and never mm. will be. Mm. It's the algorithms that run on phones or in server farms that make decisions about mm. who gets what job. Mm. There's a lot of bias. We don't know how these algorithms make the decisions that they do. They're, as you said, they're not transparent. They have a certain op opacity. There are huge problems with misinformation and disinformation. Mm. And we've seen already how bad social media in general can be for, um, for the sort of consensus about what is on which much of our society depends, be it mm. elections, be it um, how we deal with you know, a health issue, a health threat to society. There has to be a certain amount of social cohesion, which depends to some extent on us all agreeing what is the case. Mm. And the you know, social media can amplify existing misinformation and disinformation, but what language models can do is generate it yeah. and tune it yeah. to our psychological vulnerabilities. Mm. So these are, these are different kinds of, mm. of threat. There's the short-term already here threats that we might not even see, and then the, the longer-term threats of systems that become indistinguishable from us in various ways. Mm -hmm. and I think one of the sort of things that worry, worries me is um, the, 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 the way in which these systems will not necessarily develop as humans develop. As we grow from children to adults, we are um, taught between right and wrong, we're taught how to behave, how to, how to interact with other people, um, what is acceptable to do and what's not acceptable to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what worries me is that we are developing technologies that don't really carry that in any real way. Mm. And I think it's being driven by three, three different things. One is the, the desire to create uh, robots with increasing autonomy. Mm. So in other words, the capacity to make decisions on our behalf. Um, uh, the second one is increasing 
uh, embeddedness in society. So these machines, these robots are, mm. are, are joining us in society. They're no longer just in factories mm. building cars, but they are with us. They're on our phones. Um, they're in our schools. They're in our hospitals. Um, uh, and they're becoming increasingly embedded in society. Um, and uh, I've forgotten what the third one is. I said autonomy. <laughs> <laughs> increasing embedded. Oh, autonomy? human, human likeness. Mm -hmm. So human likeness. So increasing human likeness um, is the third one. There was a, a, the example that I give is a, a lovely robot called Jibo, uh, which was a very flash in the pan hit in sort of 2017, 18. Uh, it looked like a, a desk lamp, a chubby desk lamp that had a head that looked around with a face on it and you could talk to it. It was a bit like Alexa, but with a head moving mm -hmm. around. Like one of those Pixar lamps. Exactly. The of Pixar yeah, it films. is exactly like that. Yeah. Um, like but the it, start of Wally. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah, Again, yeah. the important film yeah. reference. Um, but this robot could independently take photographs. It would look for opportunities to take photographs and it could read stories wow. to your children. Uh, and the promotional video for it um, showed it doing all these wonderful different things. And then the last shot of it mm. was with this little girl in her bedroom telling her a story. And then the, the last frame is a picture of her face outlined in a box, her mm. name at the bottom. And this is an internet connected device um, that could easily put a child like that at risk if it published that, even just that photograph of her wow. and her name. But we, you know, we don't even think about that. We think how cute that is and how wonderful it would be to have mm. a robot like that. And I would love to have a, you know, one that one that did that. But we haven't thought through the, you know, how do we equip it with the moral understanding of what is appropriate and not appropriate mm. to do? It's not appropriate to take, you know, a, a young girl's photograph in the bedroom on her own and make that available publicly. Mm. Uh, but we're not equipping these machines with that kind of capacity. I think that actually picks up a, a I'm being, I'm being less and less reassuring as this conversation <laughs> goes on, I realize. You see me shaking but a there's, there's another, I think, again, possibly hidden danger, because that's, that's a real danger. When it happens, we can have a, we have a sort of immediate visceral reaction to that, right? That seems yep. wrong. But a related danger with systems like that that embed themselves in our lives is the loss of data privacy. You know? yep. And pretty much any system we interact with now um, hoovers up our data, mm -hmm. whether it's speech data, what we yeah. choose, what we buy, where we are, what we eat, how we sleep. Mm. Yeah. And there's some good to be had from that. Mm. We can have personalized medicine. We may get personalized you know, sleep advice. All, the, all these sorts of things can be very good. Mm. But the cost is not made transparent to us. The cost is, is not revealed to us at all that in doing this, we are allowing large companies and governments mm. to learn so much about us to be able to predict what we will do. And when you can predict what somebody does, you can control them. Yeah. And I think one of the larger political dangers here is that we become so much more vulnerable mm. to political coercion, to social coercion, to corporate coercion mm. in virtue of losing data privacy, which we are frankly just giving away. And frankly, it's because we have very little choice in the matter if we want mm. to participate in modern society. So there's, I think, another need for for regulation, it's a real pain. I mean, I work in, mm. a, in a neuroscience lab and we try to do experiments mm. on, on large numbers of people and we have to be very, very careful about 
data privacy mm. anonymization and so on. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's for a very, very good reason. It's one of those things that you don't realize how valuable it is until it's gone. Yeah. yeah. And I think another area linked to that is the prospect of deep fake technology, which yeah. we're already seeing. Uh, generative AI is, a, enable, is able to create things that aren't real. Mm. But it also will happen in robotics. I think we will see, you know, realistic robotics uh, out in the world, uh, you know, being posed as people who they aren't uh, doing things, uh, you know, and causing mischief uh, and could be misused. You know, they, they could actually be misused by people who want to cause harm to people. Wow. And it is disconcerting. I remember, I don't know, it may have been coincidence, but I was speaking to a friend once and I said I would like to look into um, having an otter as a pet. And later on that day, when I opened up my social media, one of the first promoted posts was, adopt an otter. <laughs> now, I don't yeah. know... I don't know whether you'd want to adopt an otter, first Apparently of all. Apparently they're pretty violent. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, well, they seem I'm, very nice. I mean, I didn't, go, I didn't go ahead with it in the end. Yeah. There is a website where, you know, you meet them under a bridge and you come alone, <laughs> but I lost a lot of money. That's not really what the, the conversation is about. But already there's that sense of impinging on our, on our privacy. And you seem to be suggesting there isn't that regulation. Mm. So is that going to get worse? Is there a way of sort of in, introducing a sort of prohibition like they did with the 1920s, or would that do what Prohibition did, which is to create a series of technological mm. speakeasies, and the good guys are behaving themselves, but then you've got the bad guys running riot in the background. Yeah, I don't. I think Prohibition is the wrong way to go, okay. and mm. and there was a recent um, letter, which was co-signed by many people in in the field, causing for this six-month pause in yeah. the development of large-scale AI, not all AI, but large-scale mm. AI. That was never going to happen. The mm. point of that letter was to just get some publicity to this issue. Mm -hmm. What would be the right kind of regulation? Prohibition is not the right kind mm -hmm. of regulation, but there are precedents. You know, there, there mm -hmm. are, at the beginning of ge genetic engineering in the 1970s, there was this series of conferences called the Asilomar Conferences, mm -hmm. where people projected out ahead what this technology might do, mm -hmm. what its benefits might be, what its risks might be. And as a result of that, there were some tram lines put in place. For instance, human cloning was agreed by pretty much everybody as mm. something that we should not do. Mm. And by and large, that has helped. Mm. Something similar you know, could work. The genie's a little bit too far out of the bottle already for that. Yeah. But mm. that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. I mean, mm. trying now is still better than, than, than doing nothing. And finding where to put those tram mm. lines so that you don't stifle innovation and you don't suppress the enormous potential for, for social good. You know, that, that's, a, that's a real challenge, but it's mm. a challenge that you know, I don't think it's a hopeless challenge. And I think we ought to also put t uh, the responsibility on the academics and the researchers that are developing the technologies. I mean, we've been working on language models for more than two decades now, mm. and we could have started thinking about this a lot earlier. What, what is this gonna do if we're successful in what, what we're aiming at? What, how will it be received? How could it be misused? What are the side effects? What are the ethical concerns? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we we need to get into that frame of mind right from the sort of grass sort of roots of where this technology emerges mm. uh, onto when it hits the commercial scene. Because once it's hit the commercial scene, if it's of commercial value and there's no regulation to stop it, it will fly, like we've seen in in Chat mm. GPT, which has taken off like no other mm. technology has been adopted 
in the world in all of history yeah. just skyrocketed and I think that's sort of we need to take that responsibility earlier on in the development cycle for, for this technology I know mm. well it's yeah it, it's true the problem is that um, we've already gone through several cycles exactly. of development yeah. and release, it, release yeah. of this stuff so I think you know there are other things we can do I mean there, there's the challenge it's as much a sociology challenge as is a technology challenge we will live in a world where we will interact with AI systems that reveal themselves to be AI systems in some cases and other in other cases stay you know, behind the scenes. Mm. And so you know, education of how to, to be socially literate in this kind of mm. environment I think is really important. And this exactly. speaks to the, the privacy issue. Yeah. Most people don't even realize they have, there's such a thing, mm. let alone the risks of, of giving away their, their data privacy. Education about that I think can, can really help. Yeah. There are other simple things I think that can be done. I mean, w one of the big, you know, one of the big things that actually, I'm not sure if it's reassuring or not, but when we think about future language models, you know, as, as Nigel said, existing language models, astonishingly have basically been trained on everything that was mm. ever written by anybody at any time, <laughs> which is amazing, right? And they still make stuff up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what's likely to happen what's already happening is that language model generated content is going back onto the internet exactly. so yeah, the internet yeah. so language models are in this sense they're polluting their own training resource yeah. yeah and and so things might actually degenerate a bit from from now and the internet could get an even more unreliable cesspool of misinformation yeah. uh, than it already is but there are ways to fix that you know you can watermark content as mm. being AI generated or not. There are th I think there, there are, there's lots of cause for optimism, yeah. but one just has to be sensible and not just go gung-ho into, yes, we can do this. So we'll build it and the people will come or they won't. That, that's the wrong yeah. attitude. And I think the education piece is absolutely central. I, I've been helping um, various businesses understand what ChatGPT does, how it works. Um, and if it's okay, I'll just give a very brief explanation it of okay. it. Because I yeah. think... Uh, I think it's illustrative of, of what Anil is, is saying. So a language model, uh, essentially what it does is it estimates the probability of a sequence of words or a sequence of tokens, actually. Mm. Um, and uh, you can put a, a sequence in like the moon is made of cheese. Um, that would get a high probability because it makes sense. It's a likely sequence of words, but it's not mm. true. We know it's not true. You could take the same words and rearrange them in a different order. You get a low probability. So that's the basic model that's un underneath okay. it. Now, what it does is when it's generating the, the text, you give it a question. So that's its first sequence. And then what it does is it then uses its learning to predict what the next word would be based on probabilities on the data it's looked at. And essentially, it has a probability for every word in its dictionary. And it's like taking a dice and rolling it, and it, a weighted dice according to that probability will come out with a likely word. Yeah. Not necessarily the same one every time, which is why it generates new content, wow. even if you ask the same thing again. Uh, and then that is fed back into the model, and it predicts the next word, uh, and then the next word, and then the next word. And it feeds that until it reaches a stop. But at a super fast speed. But at a super fast speed. Yeah. It's doing that very, very quickly. Now, once you understand that, you, you, do you then see and you understand that this is not communicating to you. It's not forming an intention, I want to say this to yeah. you, Anil. 
Um, it's just spewing out highly probable sequences of words that may be true or not. This, is, this brings us back actually to the to the GPT written um, introductions. Yeah, that's right. We were <laughs> talking about right, this, which, we? Is, which we were talking about a little bit before. Um, so the the introduction that it had for me and and for Nigel, mm. for me anyway, I could tell it was broadly right in mm. the generalities. Now a few weeks ago, some friends of mine asked GPT four to write a biography of me, and it, it came up with a longer one. And again, it was right in the generalities, but wrong in the specifics. Mm. And again, this is because language models are not trained to provide facts. Mm -hmm. They're trained to predict the next most likely mm. part of a word. Mm. And so it said that I was born in London when I was in fact born in Oxford. Now it's plausible that I was born in London because a lot of people are born in London yeah. and probably a thousand of me on average might have been born in London. But then when I asked GPT-4 to do the same again, but with fewer errors in dates and places, what it did was really revealing. You know, it, it generated a new biography, and instead of saying I was born um, in Oxford, which would have been true, it said I was born in Hammersmith in London. Now, for me, this betrays that there's absolutely no understanding going on nope. behind the hood at all, because Hammersmith, you know, it's immediately obvious to us that if, if London was wrong, then Hammersmith is even more wrong. It's wrong in a way that no mm. human would get that wrong. You know, mm. you'd zoom out. If you didn't know, you'd say born in England. Yeah. Mm. So this was one way of just probing whether these systems have the kind of capabilities that people ascribe them. In this case, a, a, a property called metacognition, the ability we have to know whether we know. Mm. Yeah. This is something that, that is fundamental to, to human cognition. And it, certainly GPT-4 doesn't have it at all. This is dangerous because... Mm. Currently, if you, one of the reasons I find language model output both fascinating but also insanely boring <laughs> is that it's, it's kind of everything is evenly confident. It just spews out yeah, very fluently stuff with a sort of high level of, yes, this is, this is how, things, how things are. Whereas, you know, we don't. We modulate our, our interactions according to our confidence in what, yeah. we're, what we're saying. Um, but if we project qualities like metacognition into language models, mm. then we will be misled by them. You know, mm. we, we will assume that they know stuff uh, when they don't. Yeah. So that it's almost as if you know, when you're dealing with someone who lies a lot, you're playing opposite sides of the same game. Yeah. Mm. But something like a language model is playing a different game entirely. It is, yeah. And that can lead us far astray if yeah. we assume that it's playing the game. And the other thing is that people assume that it's a, because it's a computer, it will get things that right that computers tend to get right. Yeah. So if you ask it to multiply two very large numbers together, it will often get that wrong, because this is a rare occurrence in the internet. You know, if you pick two extremely large numbers, it's rare that those two numbers will appear a lot in the text that it's been trained on. It'll wow. get it wrong. But if you ask it to write a computer program to multiply two numbers together, it will get it right because a computer program is a sequence of instructions and that's what it's good at doing. It's good at generating And because most computer code that's on the internet actually works. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. it's a really, really yeah, yeah. high quality training set. Yeah, it is, yeah. 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 Well, this is fantastic. We're almost out of time. So we're coming towards the summing up phase. But I think you have been more reassuring than, than you thought, uh, Neil. I mean, it's a fascinating <laughs> topic. You've both spoken very uh, fluently. You've made no errors, unlike <laughs> ChatGPT, which is, which is fantastic. So it seems at the moment that 
we are at least we're getting starting to get to grips with our moral responsibility towards AI. Things are accelerating, but they're not yet. The genie might be out of the bottle, but we're, it's not yet beyond the pale in terms of having some kind of uh, control over it. And we just need we just need to be careful. And really, what we're saying, I think, is that ChatGPT it's a very it's a very effective bootlegger. It's a moonshiner, but it's never going to replace mm. proper whiskey. Mm-hmm. To use the analogy. Answer that and also give your summing up thoughts, Nigel, please. No, I agree. I mean, I think um, I think this latest wave of generative AI um, that can generate not only text but images uh, and sound as well um, does, does kind of give us an insight into, in, in my view, partial creativity in humans but not the whole picture. Mm. Uh, because for me, creativity in humans involves the capacity to choose and to curate mm. your your skills uh, in 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 creating music or text uh, or images. Um, so I think that um, what we need to do now is to sort of enter a period of really thinking about what is this technology doing, um, how uh, how is it impacting our lives. Mm. How can we uh, uh, make the most of what it's good at, but minimize the amount of harm that it's causing um, individuals and society at large, and and develop regulation that uh, uh, enables to keep us to keep people safe, mm. but doesn't uh, dampen the development and the advancement of the technology but in, in the longer term. your view in a word ai could never replace humanity in my view it can never replace it yeah. okay anil final thoughts it certainly should never replace it and i think it's very un- unlikely to i um agree about you know, finding this balance between the positive and mm. the negative uses of a powerful dual use technology I think part of the problem is we lump together so many different things mm-hmm. under a single term artificial intelligence. You know, on, on the positive side, we have things like these algorithms that very recently have been shown to help with diagnosis mm-hmm. of, of breast cancer. Um, this is not going to replace radiologists. It can complement mm-hmm. radiologists, but yeah. it can save a, an enormous number of lives. There are going to be many applications like that. Some of the technology that these systems use is the same as a language model uses, but not all of it. And it's certainly different from, let's say, what a humanoid robot technology might, might use. I think the overall message for me is, is the, I'm reminded of um, something one of my mentors has said repeatedly. For many, many years now, Daniel Dennett, the philosopher, when he said, when we think about AI and when we build AI, we should always remember that we are building tools mm. and not colleagues. If we yeah. have that front of mind, mm. then I think a lot of things become clearer about what we build, mm. how we build it, and what our interactions should be with the systems that we create. Fantastic. Splendid job, chaps. Thanks to both of you. Well, we hope you've enjoyed it. It's been absolutely fascinating sitting here at the table with these two heavyweights. Today we've been looking on the big conversation at the robot race. Could AI ever replace humanity? We don't think so, but the future is not yet written, not even by ChatGPT. We'll see you next time. And here is a little taste of what you can expect in part two of this big conversation about the robot race. 
I'm a dualist. We've got bodies as well as minds and souls. If consciousness is a property of the brain, then it's subject to what we call causal determinism, physical determinism. This idea of libertarian free will I think is entirely wrong and, and I also think it's unnecessary. Well, I think that's overly reductive. Strictly speaking, nothing is anybody's fault. These systems will become more and more like us. People will treat them and want them to be treated as though they're human. I really don't think that AI as it is now is on a trajectory to becoming conscious. That's robots for you. That episode will be coming out in a couple of weeks' time, but if you can't wait that long, then register at thebigconversation.show and you'll be able to watch it a whole week early, as well as getting exclusive access to Nigel Crook's interview mentioned at the beginning of the show and hours more video and ebook bonus content. And if that wasn't enough, you will also get the opportunity to be drawn out of our prize book giveaway. We're giving away five copies of Professor Nigel Crook's book, Rise of the Moral Machine. We'll draw the winners out at random from the people who've signed up. That's thebigconversation.show. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week for more Unbelievables. Unbelievables.